0: This morning, we're in 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 5, if you would like to uh, open your Bibles and kind of mark those verses that we will uh, be looking at this morning. Uh, I want to, to start as I do every time I've been away. If you weren't here last week, um, neither was I. So, um, uh, but I always just like to express my gratitude uh, to Pastor Don, to Kimla, to John, uh, to Doug, to those um, volunteers in, in many ministry positions who make it possible for me to be away a week and not worry about it. That's a tremendous gift. And, and Pastor Don, if he was here, I know you'd express to him your appreciation. And when you see him, you know never hesitate to, to thank him because he serves so faithfully and I always just value the, the, um, the gift that he gives to me. And so, uh, as I said, weren't here last week, but was thinking about you We briefly um, <laughs> while, while we, were, we were away, and Tony and, and the kids and I had a great week away and are thankful for that time, but uh, also good to, to be home, even though, as I shared with you, literally we came home yesterday, we are doing laundry, and we're reloading to leave tomorrow. So it's a very um, short stay, but we'll be back next Sunday, we'll just be gone during the during the week, um, but a lot of, uh, a lot of many, or, you know, many times in our lives that we just have opportunities to be thankful, and that was certainly one of them. And I wanted to just share that with you. Uh, now, turning to our scripture this morning, 2 Corinthians, chapter five, uh, beginning at verse fifteen, uh, some words that Paul speaks that speak to our hope, our promise of faith, uh, that speak to to what Christ does in and through us, but also to our challenge and to our call, if you will, and, and what that means to be followers of Jesus, to be those whom Christ has begun a new work in, what that calls us to and how we live into that faithfully. So let me begin with these words at verse 15. Again, Second Corinthians chapter 5. And he, being Jesus, died for all, That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I want you to hear that right at the beginning, though. Paul's word, he died for all. Notice the exceptions. There are not. Everyone. So verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, speak now. Your word speaks to us. Our worship and songs and prayers speak your words to us. And I pray these moments, these words I speak, are from you. And bless us with ears to to hear and hearts to be open to the shaping of your Holy Spirit. In Christ we pray. Amen. I am by nature um, an observer, not always as good an observer as I ought to be, but I try at times to be intentional about just watching people, observing behaviors, observing trends because it plays into what I do. I'm always kind of hunting for uh, lead-ins and illustrations and and uh, connecting points and, and much to the fear of of my kids sometimes, as I've shared with you before, one of their Favorite lines to me whenever they do something is, "Dad, don't talk about this on Sunday." Um, and so, so we were gone for the week and, and on vacation, but but I still kind of watch and pay attention. You know, Tony and I, for years, in, in a not enough sermon illustration kind of way or anything, but but we would when we're on vacations when we're at the beach or anywhere where you're kind of out in the sun and people are swimming and. And, uh, and bathing suits and stuff. We will, we will walk around, and it startles us um, how many people have no concept of the danger of the southern sun. You know, we observe, we'll walk around, and we'll just look. We see how many people, we saw this when we were gone for the week, how many people ruined their vacation uh, in the first day or two because they have no concept of how bad. We saw one guy who was at a pool, and I'm not kidding, he was glowing. He was red, so red. And I thought, that guy is ruined. He's absolutely ruined for the week. And I thought, oh, Lord, please, somebody who loves this man, tell him to get out of the sun. And, uh, you know, th- there are things that people collect on vacation. That's not a good thing to collect on vacation. But I also noticed the other things. I, I noticed the, the souvenir shops that are always around vacation places. And they all sell the same kinds of stuff. You know, you've been in one, you've, you've been in all of them. But they, they really sell collectibles, and they're selling mementos. I, I think largely that's what they're doing. They, 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 they cater to our desire to collect things that remind us of an experience, that remind us of a—that's of a, um, birth memories, if you will, or bring up memories. And so there are a lot of things that we collect to remind us of our experiences. T-shirts— uh, some, a lot of people buy t-shirts of places you've gone. You might, I've done it, you know, places you've gone, experience you've had, events you've attended, because they remind us of that experience. Uh, my mother collected spoons. Any spoon collectors here? The little, yeah, there's one. Okay, one. That's good. Um, but she collected spoons. Every time, every time we went somewhere, she would buy a spoon, and she had a nice little collection of those um, Ryan has started collecting stickers that's what he does. He buys stickers of places we go, and he puts them on his guitar case and every sticker tells a story. Um, I collect glasses and so you know for years i've been collecting so uh, when I look at my case of all the glasses, I can remember trips and experiences it, it's nostalgic it connects us to to a past experience Now I read something the other day um, and I don't know how they scientifically verify this, and it's kind of a side point, but it it said that when you remember an experience, when you remember something in your past, you're not actually remembering the event. You are remembering the last time you remembered the event. So that's why our stories change over time, and we're convinced that we remember it correctly because we don't actually remember the event itself. We remember the last time we remembered it which is kind of mind-boggling if you think about it. Ryan, this disturbs Ryan to no end. It bothers him greatly. So every time I see him, I go, Hey, Ryan, you remember that time we did that? And he goes, Yeah. And I go, No, you don't. And, um, <laughs> but, but memories matter. However we get to them, however we connect, memories matter because they remind us of part of our journey, part of our experience. So we have a lot of ways that we connect to those memories. I think the most significant is through our pictures. I think our pictures tell the story of our lives. They, they tell the experiences of our lives. I think that's why they're so valuable. I mean, how many of you, if heaven forbid, your house was on fire and you knew all the people were out safely, the first thing you'd go for would be your pictures? Um, because those are treasures um, to us. And, and so it's, it's interesting to connect to, to this, the past and the stories that those pictures tell. Um, one of the things I love, one of the little trends in social media that I just absolutely love is um, on Facebook, uh, TBT. Who knows what TBT stands for? Throwback Thursday. That's if, you, if you're on Facebook, that's people on Thursdays. I don't know how it got started, when it got started, but they'll put old pictures up. And that's really cool to kind of see the, the experiences in the, in the times of, of people's past. The pictures, if you were watching the announcement slide John put together, of some of the couples in the church, of their wedding pictures for however many years ago, and, and their pictures now. You know, they, they, they're part of our story. When, um, when we got home yesterday um, from vacation, we, uh, we got to the house, it was in the afternoon. My father had stayed at the house for the week. He was um, babysitting his grand dog, for the week. And uh, so he took care of our dog while we were away. His wife, Judy, uh, is in Indiana. So he was by himself. So he's like, no, you know, I'll come down and I'll take care of Dakota for you. And uh, to keep himself busy during the week, he took, when when we were growing up, and dad took a lot of pictures, uh, he would put them on slides. Do you remember slides? You know, he had a collection, hundreds and hundreds of slides. Uh, It is, it is funny now, you know, my kids, some of our kids, they have no concept of what a slide is. Uh, they, most of them have no concept of what a camera that takes film is. You know, they, have, they do not know the joy, the joy of not having any idea how good the picture is you just took. And you remember, those of you remember going to Walgreens and getting the slide and immediately going through the pictures and taking out the ones you didn't want to pay for? You know, that kind of stuff. You had no idea. You know, our kids... That's, that's not the world they live in. And slides certainly is not the world that they live in. But Dad had these slides. So for the week, what he did is he took the slides and he used this machine and he digitized them and he put them on the computer because that's our photo albums now. Most of our photo albums are computers. And, and not everybody's, but a lot of us, I should say. And so my point is when we got home. He's like, I put all these pictures on your computer. So we sat down and we started going through the pictures. In fact, I, I brought a couple pictures. Jay, I didn't cue you in on this, but do you see that first picture? Can you pull that up? Yeah. That's one of the pictures. That's me on the left. That's my brother Brian on the right. The color's really off, but, you know, you get the, you get the idea. Um, that was right before we started hitting each other. Um, <laughs> and then there was another one that he pulled that had the three of us. That's me on the left, my brother Brian on the right, and David um, in the middle. And we started going through these pictures. And uh, they, they tell stories. And really what we were talking about is the memories that we had, where we were, what we were doing, the experiences that we shared. But they also realize, go back to that picture for one more second, Jay, the one of the three of us. They also remind us of how fast life changes. For instance, who in their right mind wears socks like that anymore? <laughs> Uh, it it, it changes, and I had the one up, one down. I don't know what was going on there. But but they connect. Okay, Jay, thank you. They connect us. They connect us to our story. They throw us back, but they remind us of how much things change. And that's not a bad thing, but how much they change, how much we change, how much life changes. And what's true in kind of a, a secular reality is true in a spiritual sense. We change. When we come to faith in Christ, wherever that happens for us, when we make that commitment to walk in the way of Jesus, whether an instantaneous decision or process of surrender, that is the beginning of a journey. And we begin a process of being made new. That's what Paul says in those words in verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Or maybe your Bible says, he or she is made new. The old is gone, the new is here. We begin a process of change because Christ invites us into a relationship that begins to change us, to make us different than what we had once been, that births in us a new hope and a new promise and a new assurance and a new love, but it changes us. If you are the same exact person before you give your life to Christ as you are after you give your life to Christ, you really haven't surrendered anything to Christ. It's in name only because Jesus begins to reorient. It's because the scriptures testify that we're made more like Christ and we begin to take on his character and that's very different than our natural tendencies. I I was standing in line yesterday before we left to come home. Uh, For the week that we were gone, our car had been parked at like a remote parking location um, that was less expensive to leave our car for the week. And... um, when when we got back, they shuttled us to this lot, and they had our cars ready. They pulled them out. We'd left our keys, and they pulled our cars up and popped open the back and let the windows down to cool it out a little bit. It was an outside, so it'd gotten pretty hot. And um, before we left, everybody did the the mandatory pit stop before we drove home, and um, we had to stand in line to wait to use the restroom. And I happened to start, or a woman in front of me in line started a conversation with me, and she said, she asked me, she's like, how much extra did it cost for the valet service? And I said, it didn't cost anything extra. that Well, we all paid for that. I paid the same amount you paid. And then she started to tell me that the person that she was traveling with, she was kind of with a group, but the guy who was um, kind of in charge of the group, she said he had refused to allow them to park his car. He had refused to allow them to keep his keys. You know, he had to keep his keys, he had to park his car, which... Understandable. I know some people are kind of particular about that. Nothing wrong with that. But she started to tell me why. In fact, she said he will never allow anybody to valley park his car. He'll never allow anybody to carry his bags. He'll never allow anyone to assist him because he doesn't want to tip. <laughs> she said he does not want to tip anybody. Now, let me say, I don't usually valley park a car for the same reason. I can park and walk myself. There are some places I get that, but, but she said in no aspect of his life does he ever want to tip anybody. But this is what was so interesting. She said, but you know what? He will spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on himself. She said he will take luxury vacations. He will buy fancy cars. He will um, spend money on, on material things. She's like, he will spend thousands on himself, but he doesn't want to tip a dollar to anybody else. And I thought, you know, I thought it's kinda sad. I don't know who he was. Never saw the guy, so I you know. But I thought, doesn't that speak, maybe at least for me, to a natural tendency, not that extreme, I pray to God not that extreme. But in the sense is that that we're by nature self serving. We're by nature seeking what's best for us, to, to have for ourselves, to, to, to store up for ourselves. I mean, Jesus warns about this over and over, to spend on ourselves, to want the best for us, and to kind of be very inward focused. And I think, I know I struggle with that. I'm going to make an assumption that at some level, we all struggle with it, to different extremes. Some of you are by your very nature some of the most generous and giving people I've ever met, and that's... Such a powerful testimony. Some of us have to work really hard at it. And we have to allow Christ to work on, at it and to change us because that's what happens when we begin to walk with Christ. If we're going to take on the nature of Christ, well, what was the character of Jesus? The character of Jesus was always other focused, always concerned about others, caring for others. The only time Jesus focused on himself was when he needed to recharge and commune with God and be strengthened in his relationship with God so he could do a proverbial recharge to continue to care and to meet the needs of others. And so we have a tendency, I have a tendency to be just like that guy, to want everything for me and to share as little of it as possible. But I know that's not the character of Christ. And in Jesus, God begins to do new things in my life and to change the focus from an inward focus to an outward focus. Now, I'm not there yet. You're not there yet. It's a journey. It's a process. But we celebrate what God begins to do in and through us. We celebrate the fact that when we come to Christ, God accepts us as we are for who we are, forgives us, and begins to trans us and that we are not the same that we used to be. We may not be, you know, there's, there's a, a, a proverb you've probably heard before that says, Lord, I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I'm going to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. Okay, That's what begins to happen. We recognize that God begins to move in our lives and to do new things and to change us. And sometimes that change makes remembering our past a little painful, spiritual sense. Remembering where we came from a little painful because sometimes our walk with Christ exposes the sin and scars of our past, the the mistakes and the choices that we've made much to our own detriment. You know, sins are the result of our choices or, or are the choices and sometimes the the um, damaging choices, the unfaithful choices we make, the scars are the ramifications of those choices. Sometimes the scars we inflict upon ourselves, sometimes the scars we inf- that are inflicted upon us. But the reality is, when we start to walk in Christ, we realize that sometimes those memories and those reminders of what we used to be, they're painful. we don't want to reflect upon them. I don't. Now, I, I came to faith in Christ as a very young, as a boy. I don't really remember a time when I wasn't identified as myself as a Christian. But I know there's plenty of times in my walk with Jesus that I have moved very, very far away from faithfulness. There are times in my life I have wandered very far from being the person that Christ has called me to be. And I don't like to think about those times because they hurt, because they're embarrassing, they're painful. And I know some of your journeys, and especially those who come to faith later in life, you you have those kind of stories, you have those kinds of scars, and I think it's important sometimes to remember them. I know our tendency is to forget because God forgives. We don't want to be identified by that. We're not shaped by that. We're not marked eternally by that. And so our tendency is to think that we need to forget. But I think sometimes we need to remember. And the reason is because when we remember what God has done, we are bathed in gratitude. Remembering creates gratitude. When we remember God's mercies, we remember the fact that he has poured himself out for us when we were the most unworthy and has begun a new work in each of us, I don't know how we can be anything but grateful. It creates a grateful heart, and a grateful heart is essential for a faithful heart. We are commanded over and over to be people of gratitude. The Psalms, I did a word study of gratitude uh, uh, in the scriptures, and it appears frequently throughout the Psalms and the prophets. Commands, like I read from the prayer, to be grateful, to remember the deeds of God. But you know who else talks about gratitude a lot besides Jesus? Paul. Paul talks a lot about being grateful, rejoicing. He says, in all things rejoice, in In uh, Colossians, he says, let God purify your heart and be thankful. In in Ephesians, in all things give thanks. I mean, it's a kind of a a reoccurring refrain in his writing. And I think part of the reason Paul could be so grateful is because Paul never forgot where he came from. Paul couldn't have been further away from God. Remember, he was a persecutor of the church. He was out to stamp out Christianity. He wanted those who followed in the way of Jesus to suffer for their blasphemy against God. I mean, he couldn't have been any further away from Jesus. And yet Jesus got hold of his life and in an instant changed the trajectory of his journey. And he became the proclaimer of the church. He went from prosecutor to proclaimer, the one who who persecuted to the one who was persecuted the way of Christ. But he never, ever forgot where he'd come from. And he allowed that memory to continue to grow in him a heart of gratitude and thankfulness for how much God had done for him. And allowed his focus to begin to change. Because see, in Philippians and other places, Paul goes in to a very eye-centered kind of um, declaration. He will talk frequently about all the accomplishments he knew before Jesus. He talks about the fact that he was a Pharisee, he was educated, he was blameless in the law. I mean, he did everything right. And then he reminds us that in Christ it meant nothing, because it was all about him. But in Jesus, he'd begun to see differently. And he understood that his life wasn't about what he got, what he accomplished, what he could could build up for himself, but it was about what he could give what he could share, what he could offer to others. And that came out of gratitude. We are called to remember, not to dwell in, not to be defined by, and not to be shamed by, but to remember. Because when we remember, we can't help but be overwhelmed by God's love and compassion for us and his mercy that is new every day. Gratitude is important, or memory is important in gratitude. Now, If you were reading the scripture as I'm talking, you might look at that and go, that sounds great. I don't see how that has anything to do with what Paul talks about. There's no mention of gratitude here. And you'd be right, there's not. But there is mention of what we're called to. Paul says that God, this is verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Paul says that you've been made new in Christ. Your sins have been forgiven. They are not counted against you. But then Paul goes on to remind you and remind me that out of that should birth gratitude, but that gratitude should give way to something else. And that is a desire to see others in the same way that Christ sees us. A desire to share with others the good news that Christ has poured into us. To be agents of reconciliation, which just means to help people find a relationship with God. And our problem, our blind spot in the church, my blind spot, is that too often I don't see people for their value. I see people for their actions. I see people who do dangerous things to harm themselves. I see people who are engaged in what we would call in church sinful behaviors. And I tend to cast them off, to push them aside, because I see them through their actions, not through the value that God has placed in their lives. And God has to constantly work on me and remind me, hey, Chris, you've gotten pretty far away from me before too, and I never pulled my mercy from you. I've never stopped forgiving and loving you. Why do you think for a second I would ever stop forgiving and loving anyone else? And when I recognize what Christ has done for me, my vision changes. The way I see others changes. My gratitude gives way to a compassion and a love. To be able to be an agent of reconciliation, to remind others of the truth I know. that No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've wandered, no matter how damaging your lifestyle choices have been, you've never gotten away from God's love. Like Romans 8, we talked about a few weeks ago, you've never gotten away from it. It's always been there. It allows me to try, try to live faithfully into being the agent of reconciliation Christ has called me to be. And that's our challenge. But that comes from gratitude, not from legalistic obedience. It comes from gratitude, from thankful hearts for what God has done for us and opening ourselves to then what God desires to do through us gratitude. It is essential. If we are nothing else, let us be a people of gratitude, because when we are, there's a lot of new things God can do. I saw a neat little proverb this morning as I was reading and preparing, and it's it's as profound as it is simple. And it simply said this, happy people are not grateful. Grateful people are happy. Happy people are not grateful. Grateful people are happy. Brothers and sisters, let us be grateful people. Let us remember our story. Let us have our throwback moments, even sometimes the tough memories, because it reminds us of how far we've come and how much God has done for us and through us. And let us be open then to not only be receivers of that grace, not only to know how God sees us, but that we would learn to see others with those same eyes of love and compassion, not hearts of judgment, but as agents of reconciliation. May that be God's claim, and may that be our call. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for your love that is poured into us and help us to, to share, be, be sharers of that love and that mercy and that grace. Uh, bless our journeys as we constantly become made new in Christ and use us to invite others to that same hope and promise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.